This is the Love Intently podcast, and I'm Sophie Kwok, your host and the founder of Love Intently, where our mission is to empower thriving relationships. Real quick before we dive into this week's episode, have you taken our love personality quiz yet? It's a fun way to learn how you and your partner love similarly or differently, and you can find it at loveintently.com. It's empowered a lot of couples to start these conversations about what is meaningful to them and what matters most to them. But also, if you're single, I highly recommend getting to know the stuff about yourself now so that when you are in a relationship, you're able to communicate what works for you and what doesn't and learn that about your partner. This week, we have the magical Harris and Kate, and they are most known through their work as Illusionist, the Story Conference, and Astoria, a collective of artists, producers, storytellers who create and execute transformational experiences for some of the world's biggest brands, including Chick-fil-A, Pinterest, International Justice Mission, and the Grammys. The two of them fell in love as teens when Harris was already a full-time traveling illusionist, but he took a year off and that's when he met Kate. And since then, they have traveled to hundreds of cities, creating life-changing experiences through magic. And from the start of their marriage, they had to learn really quickly how to navigate traveling full-time together, being a team in both life and in work. They shared gems of knowledge and wisdom of their previous seasons of full-time traveling and working as speakers, and now how they are approaching their current season as they transition their business for less travel and allowing them to have more time with their children. These two share really honestly and beautifully on how they navigated through it all and how they've kept their love magical. In this episode, they also share some wisdom bombs for all of the singles out there. It all started in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It did. That's where I'm from. Yeah. She was uh, in going into her senior year in high school. I was. It was 2001. So it feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was touring full time as a magician, like a professional illusionist, which is a weird way to make a living, especially as a teenager. And I had taken a year off. I'd grown up in Southeast Tennessee, but had taken a year off of doing my own shows to go travel with another magician. Uh, he happened to be based in Minneapolis. And so I was actually living in the basement in a spare bedroom of some family friends of hers. Her yeah, family. I had grown up with them. And they all went to the same church. And so, you know, every week they were like, you should come with us to church. And I was like, nah. And they were like, you should come with us to church. And I'm like, nah. <laughs> and then one day I'd already graduated high school because I graduated a year early from doing homeschooling on the road full time. And uh, they were like, really, you should come. Like, maybe you'll meet a girl or something. I was like, oh, girls, like I'm in. And so, uh, yeah, that night I was at their youth group. Regular and, Wednesday night youth group. Yep. Yeah. And that's where we met originally. We did. <laughs> girl across the room. Yeah, she was the girl across the room. I ended up hanging out with, uh, you know, basically whoever would befriend me when I walked in, which was the kids that were also somewhat dorky like I was. And so I just kind of sat with them. And it was very clear that, that they weren't the cool kids in the youth group. Um, and it was also very obvious that she was one of the cool kids in the youth group <laughs> because she was with like all of the cool kids and their little clique or whatever. And I remember everyone was standing up singing and we're in this church environment and the guy I was sitting next to keeps like joking around with one of the girls and it was Kate. And she looked back at him at one point and actually flipped him off, like flip the bird. Uh, and I was like, I was that, yeah, I was that girl. <laughs> I was like, Oh, like you're not supposed to do that in church. I don't think. And then he goes, Oh, that's Kate and a guard. Like, I'll tell you about her later. And I could just tell, like, she was one of the cool kids, but also like one of the trouble girls. But I, but in that moment, like I had noticed him and I was like, oh, new guy. He's really cute. I'm totally going to say hello. Um, so I waited until after everything was over, not having realized that he saw me do what I did and came up to him after and was like, who are you? Where are you from? do you have any friends in town? <laughs> do you want to hang out? Here's my number. Come like have coffee with us. So that was, that was it. <laughs> yeah. Which I was attracted to Very right away. 
because I was like the I was like the good guy, right? And so I grew up in a small town, was super sheltered by my family, never like drank alcohol or smoked a cigarette or did drugs in high school. And then, high school were my troubled years. Yeah, and then all of a sudden I'm in this new city <laughs> and the church, and this girl's flipping people off, and it was like kind of that like you're attracted to like. Oh, she's got bad in her and I like it. <laughs> and to be clear, I don't do that anymore. So <laughs> we've both done a lot since then. Okay, it's okay if you do. Last 18 yeah. years. <laughs> but that's that is how we first connected. Yep. And then what happened from there? She gave me her number. I think because she felt sorry for me. Because she was like, No, yeah. I totally did not feel sorry for him. I actually was legit interested, but I didn't want to be one of those girls that was so forward. So I was like, hey, here's my number. A bunch of us are going to go get coffee. You should feel free to come with us. By the way, wink, wink, call me. And that was back in the day when you didn't have cell phones. And so it was literally like, call my parents' house and I will take the phone off of the wall with the cord that's, you know, 25 feet long and sit in the laundry room and talk to you. So we ended up up at a caribou coffee down the street from our house for hours just talking about life and why I was in town and the fact that I was, I, I don't even remember telling her I was a magician right away. No, I didn't find out for weeks. Yeah, because I, I was like, weeks. that was, a, I mean, 20 he years ago. very elusive. 20 years ago, being a magician was not that cool. Especially in high school. <laughs> yeah, you heard magician and you immediately thought of like, cheesy stereotypes like oh you perform birthday parties like you pull rabbits out of hats and stuff i mean modern magic has kind of changed the stereotypes a little bit so we've come a long way but 20 years ago that just wasn't the case so it was like oh i'm in town working doing an internship with this office of people (laughs) it's just very generic and i tried to just constantly change the subject and talk about something else so that she wouldn't find out i was a magician and then when i did i definitely had this stereotypical response of Oh gosh, do you do birthday parties? <laughs> Are you with the circus? This is really weird. Like that's that's your life. This is really bizarre. Um, I thought maybe you were an athlete or something. <laughs> but no, he was great. He was totally different than some of the other guys I had gone out with. And it just was like this breath of fresh air that I couldn't explain at the time. Um, and it took, I mean, it took years to kind of figure out what that was, but I was sold. I was in. Do you remember the first magic trick he showed you? <laughs> I don't. I think he came to a show. I probably did come to a show. I think we might have even. So the people he lived with were also into magic. Um, and I had known that because I had grown up with them. And they had a little stage in the bottom of their, like in their basement. And I think we may have actually watched a magic, like, David Copperfield DVD or video or something like that. And that was my first, like, oh, wow, this is your life. Um, but I don't remember the first magic trick you actually did for me. He, he, he never does magic for me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So how did it evolve from there? When did you guys officially start dating? And do you remember a moment when you kind of knew this was the person you wanted to spend your life with? I don't know about you. I think we kind of, again, dating was so different. There was not this official thing back then where it's like, are we exclusive? We're not exclusive. We We just assumed every day because we just, we really enjoyed each other's company and there was just something really fun about him. And yeah, I don't know that it was ever this official moment, but it did not take long for me to feel like this is something so different and so special. And I wanted to hold on to it, even if it, I didn't know how long, I mean, I was 17, so I don't know how long this is going to last, but as long as it does, I would you know, love to continue in this. And I don't know. I don't know what it was like for you. (laughs) I was in. (laughs) Yeah. I just think there was never this clear moment where I remember having a conversation evolving around what this was. I think we just saw what it was and just rolled into it gradually. And it just kind of turned into what it is. I mean, Um, we were like really, I think we did it right for those first few weeks. We just hung out a lot. We learned about each other and quite honestly, we became best friends really fast Um, We just clicked and I think had the relationship not worked out, we still probably would have remained extremely close friends. So what was the proposal story like? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Okay. We we had dated for about four years, three and a half years. 
And my parents have always vacationed up in like northern Minnesota near Canada. And so my roommate from college and I and him drove up to Minnesota and we were going to take this vacation together. And we ended up going like we went all week long and I don't know if other women have this, but you kind of have this like, oh, maybe, maybe this is, maybe this is my time. And we went for a hike and it's this beautiful, beautiful hike where you can stand on the border of Canada and Minnesota. And he started talking to me and I could kind of tell where it was going. And then it started pouring rain, (laughs) like just the skies opened up and it was torrential and so we ran, we ran under a tree and like, we're standing there for, until it stopped. And then he got down on one knee in the mud and said, I didn't want to give you something super fancy. I didn't want this to be fancy. I wanted you to say yes to me, just me. And I obviously said yes and was thrilled and it was beautiful and <laughs> intentional. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. So yeah, I think, you know, when you're an entertainer for a living and you're in front of, you know, a thousand people a lot of nights, it's easy to gravitate towards creating this big emotional experience. And I just had this fear of like, gosh, if I put her on the spot in front of a thousand people, there's going to be all this social pressure to be like, well, I can't say no. And I didn't want her to say yes to um, the pressure. Yeah, the pressure or the experience or some emotional high that was created and mustered up out of my ability to, you know, manipulate via like creating a really cool experience. I wanted to say yes to just me as a human being. So I remember like, I even remember that morning going, I'm not going to take a shower today. Like, why would I take a shower? <laughs> and subconsciously like, well, why don't I'm about <laughs> to propose to my girlfriend, like to marry her for the rest of my life. Why would I not want to take a shower? And it, it's just, again, it was another one of those things. It was just, that's, that is the experience I wanted to create. I remember wearing like the least cool clothes I had, not showering, not doing anything Jeans with my hair. Yeah. I was just kind of a mess. And to be honest, that was all intentional. It was like, I want her to say yes to just me as a human being and nothing else. And so if she says yes to like the current condition that I'm in, then I'll feel confident that she's saying yes to me as a person who I am. That's so beautiful. I love the intentionality behind that. And it feels so backwards from (laughs) what our society celebrates today. But I I really love that. Just saying yes to the person individually. (laughs) So you guys started really young and there's been a lot of life in between. Tell us a little bit more about what you do and your entrepreneurial journey and just your life that you've built together since you were teens. You You already had a life. I just jumped on. I jumped on board. Yeah, it was a lot. It was mostly about integration. Like, how does she integrate into the life that I was already living? You know, when you when you begin your career so young and you already have a career before you start dating, and it you know she's watching my career continue to develop and grow as we're getting to know each other. So by the time we got married at twenty one, I was already traveling around the world full time, and I was doing that with a group of people already. And so it was kind of like, how do we integrate her into that group and how does she begin to replace some of those roles? So yeah, that's, that was the first few years of us just trying to figure that out. And then eventually it was down to just the two of us traveling together full time. And then over the years you would add in additional crew or people would come on the road and off the road, or you would go on the road with other bands or acts or whatever. And it was just learning how to tour around the world together. And early on we started traveling a lot internationally so this first few years of marriage, we we hit at least a dozen countries within those first few years. And so it was a lot of experience of traveling around the world together, being in new places, learning how to stay flexible. You know, I, even just to talking about it now, I think back of all the situations that we were thrown into that really were, were prime fertile ground for conflict. And I think that was probably ended up being a good thing because it allowed us to walk through a lot of things early that maybe other people don't hit until later on just because we were, we were in those situations so soon. So yeah, you kind of have to fast track the learning process when you're traveling and you're, you're literally spending all day, every day together with somebody doing something totally different every single day, all day. (laughs) Um, And you have a lot of downtime to think and kind of process through things. So we, 
we had to learn fast and sometimes we didn't learn as quickly as we probably should have, but it definitely was a unique process and one that I'm super grateful for because they're, I mean, worth 30, we'll be 36 this year and have been married for almost 15 years. And so there are things that our friends are currently going through that we went through 10 years ago. So it feels really special. What are some of those things? Uh, Just me having a life, you know, like her going, I'm leaving college, going on the road. I'm ready to kind of like begin my life as an adult and a professional and have like, do I want to have a career or whatever? And because I'd already had one, a lot of it was just about her recognizing like, man, he's already working a lot. And me recognizing that I'm a workaholic and now I have this new person that I actually need to be intentional about spending time with. Well, and I had been in college. Uh, I mean, I left, I left college after a couple of years, but I had been in college to go to school for something. So when I quit and we got married, I quite literally joined the circus. I jumped into stuff that I knew nothing about. And I kind of had to learn as I went, which forced him to be really patient with me because <laughs> I never traveled. I had never been involved in live entertainment outside of sitting in the audience. So just getting those kind of experiences and being away, I was really social. I had lots of friends and suddenly I was out on the road 250 days a year, which meant I had to learn how to balance a social life at home with my married life and our job and the flexibility that it required. It was a lot. It was a lot of, it was a lot it's, it's like a lot of, you hear a lot of married couples talk about learning how to live with someone else. And it was all the, it was all the same things of like, wow, this isn't just my life anymore. And now I need to be intentional about how I love this other person. And, you know, most of our challenges, those first few years were just us not having open, honest conversations about what we needed from each other. And so then the other person was left trying to guess what those needs were. And so, you know, she's, She's constantly frustrated because I'm a workaholic and I'm just frustrated that she's frustrated that I'm always working. Um, but neither one of us are communicating anything about our needs or why it doesn't make us feel loved. So we start telling ourselves stories that aren't true, which then leads to conflict, which then leads to a lack of intentionality in how we love each other. I think also we both come from families who I wouldn't, they're not broken, but they're broken. And so they, my, my parents don't know how to necessarily love each other well. His parents don't know how to love each other very well. So when we got married, it was, we were hyper-conscious of the, the stuff that we were already lacking. And so as we started walking through things and hit walls, we had to step back. We were forced to step back. And I'm super thankful that both of us at that time had the you know foresight to step back and say, hey, we don't want this to end So what do we have to do to make this work? And the first, gosh, five years of our marriage were some of the best and hardest times that we ever had because we were stretched so much. Yeah. What would you tell your younger selves? (laughs) Everything. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it sounds super basic, the concept of the five love languages, but I think if if I would have been able to wrap my head around that concept sooner, it would have saved us a lot of heartache, you know, to, cause in your mind, you're going, I am loving my spouse. <laughs> I don't understand why they're not feeling loved right now. All simultaneously, you're confused about why they don't feel loved by you. And yet you're going, I don't feel loved by them either, but yet clearly we love each other. So what's the disconnect? So to as early on as possible. And by early on, I mean like going into marriage, not after you get married, but the moment you enter into even a dating relationship with someone to understand their love language and what makes them feel loved. So that there's not a disconnect between your ability to communicate that. Otherwise you're just going to be frustrated. You're going, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And they're going, I don't feel like it. I'm just hearing words right now. And it's like, Oh, that's because her love language is quality time and I'm not spending any quality time with her. So understanding that disconnect is, is huge. And once you understand the love language, you can begin to speak the language to your spouse that actually allows them to feel the love that you're communicating. That's huge. Yeah. I would also tell my younger self that it gets better with time. It's so easy to bail and it is so easy to give up when things get really hard and go, I don't know how it could get any better than this because you've never experienced a relationship to its fullest. We will die and still like 
we'll still be learning things up until the day we die, um, which is crazy to know that you can love someone more year after year after year. And I think that's when marriages start to fail is you don't think it can get any better. It can only get worse. And so you just kind of give up and you yeah. go back to what you know, which is that first initial, oh, this is new. This is amazing. Kind of fluttery feeling that will go away, but it gets replaced with something so much better. Yeah. All the stuff that we're, we're looking for. So like we want beauty, we want attractive and those things are, in my experience, are actually born out of intimacy. And so like she is more beautiful to me now after we have experienced intimacy through 15 years, 20 years of experience with each other than she was when I first met her at 18 years old or 17 years old or however old we were. And so I think there's a lot of people looking at others going, I'm just not attracted anymore. And I'm like, but that beauty that you're looking for, that attraction is actually born out of the intimacy in your relationship. And that isn't, I don't just mean sexual intimacy. We hear the word intimacy and that's just what we assume. Yeah. But vulnerability and true honesty and connection with each other, all the things that true intimacy is born out of, yeah. that that is the birthplace of attraction and it changes how you see your spouse. And so I get so annoyed when I hear young people be like, oh, I'm just not attracted to them anymore. Um, or older people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, dude, they're going to get like the older you get, the more you're going to wake up in the morning and look over and go, you're not the young 18 year old person that I married. Uh, you're not the 21 year old person that I married. You're not the 30 year old person that I married or whatever. So it has to be, has to be rooted in something deeper than that. Yeah. We ooh and ah when couples are in their eighties or nineties and they die within you know hours of each other. And we go, Oh, I want to love like that. Well, the only way to get that is to remember that you, it grows with time and you got to hang in there and see vulnerability and be vulnerable yourself. There's a, a couple that I interviewed that are in their seventies and they said that intimacy is a thing that our generation craves the most, but we're also so afraid of it because it requires so much of ourselves. But you're right. Like the type of love that we all want is sitting at the other side of putting in that effort, that quantity of time, getting through the hard stuff. That kind of leads me to my next question of, you mentioned a lot of like having to experience so much together early on. What are some more practical tips of traveling well together as a couple <laughs> or starting a business together? What would you tell other couples that are looking to go down a similar journey? I don't even know. I, I, <laughs> I have no idea. I feel so unworthy to give this advice. I'm, I'm really bad at practicality because I think I have a tendency to oversimplify everything. And then I go, oh, I'm way oversimplifying that. And then after I say that, I actually stop and pause and go, maybe it really is that simple. And by mm -hmm. simple, it means like the concept is simple, but it's obviously very difficult to live out and execute, right? And, and those simple concepts are like, just be honest with each other and communicate where you are and be vulnerable and remind yourself where the other person actually is. Like, you know, the number of times that we've gotten in an argument that in the middle of an argument, I've paused and gone, why am I assuming this to be true about her and interpreting everything that she's saying through that assumption? Like, and then I, when I pause and go, does she actually love me? And I go, yes. Do I genuinely believe that she loves me? Yes. And that means I'm either misunderstanding or she's not meaning to hurt me intentionally. There's something else going on that we need to work on or address. You know, Brene Brown is the most practical marriage advice I've ever heard when she said, sometimes it's worth pausing and just asking the story I'm telling myself right now is. And I think that's so applicable to marriage because mm -hmm. when two people are arguing to just pause and go, okay, this is what I'm hearing you say right now. And the when, when you say that, or when you treat me that way, the story that I tell myself is, and 99% of the time in my experience, when we say that with each other, the other one of us jumps in and goes, oh my gosh, that's not at all what I was trying to say. <laughs> and then next thing you know, the conflict is disarmed. And now you're actually getting to the root of the problem instead of just staying in this like high level place that is driven by emotion and anger and frustration. And you're just going to leave each other feeling misunderstood. So yeah, on a practical level, it just comes down to just always communicating and, That's what I was gonna say. and developing empathy for where that person feels. So for me, it, it actually does not come naturally for me to stop and go, okay, this is actually how I'm feeling right now. And this is, 
you know, not illicit demands of like, this is what I need from you, but as my partner in life and the person that I genuinely believe loves me, like, this is what I could, this is how I could use some help. I need you to remind me of this or remind me that I am this, or I need you to help me by holding me accountable in this area. That can't come from any other place other than just transparency, honesty, vulnerability, and then trust that the other side has enough empathy for you to pitch in. Yeah. You also have to recognize your strengths and weaknesses. I think the first few years that we were married, I wanted to be able to check all of the boxes. I wanted to be just like him without recognizing that I couldn't be. I am not an entrepreneur. I am not, you know, I don't run businesses, but I make a great helper. So I had to learn how to be a helper to him and to fill in the gaps that were, were, you know, were there by him. Over the years, we've kind of honed in on that and we've learned how to to work together to, we joke around that when other people work with us now, when we're on site for something, they, you know, probably think that we hate each other because we just speak so quickly and bluntly (laughs) to each other. But we've just learned that this isn't personal. This is business. We just are, you know, we got to move fast and I know he loves me. I know he knows I love him. So we're just going to keep moving. And I just, I had to recognize that I couldn't be what he was and he can't necessarily be what I am. And that's okay. But we work, there are ways for us to work well together and complement each other and to fill in kind of those, those gaps. Yeah. And it's not for everybody working together is not for everybody. (laughs) That's the other big thing. Don't think that just because you're married, you can work together. Some people cannot work together and that is okay too. (laughs) I think it's a, it goes back to having a foundation of trust, right? And that foundation of trust has to be built over time with lots of honesty with each other. And that foundation of trust is what allows you to hear someone say something to you in a blunt way and not have this crisis of faith in whether they love you or not, right? Because if you, I can hear her say something that might sound super harsh to someone else <laughs> who's listening in, but it doesn't make me question whether she loves me or not because my trust in her love for me is so high. And that comes from years of honesty and integrity and and behind the scenes conversations. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So talk to me about how your career or life together evolved from those early days to what you do now with story conference and what that is. Yeah. Wow. Big, big (laughs) difference. We, um, we decided to have kids six years ago. We have a five-year-old, a three-year-old and a six week old. Um, so yeah, we are a full house. But making that decision for me to come off the road and for him to kind of go solo, that that has probably been the biggest thing over the last few years that we have had to work through, so probably more on my end than his end. But it's like, all right, here's what my new role gets to be. It's going to be at diminished capacity and all that stuff. So how do we make that work and how do we make that look? Yeah. That was the biggest transition is we're, we traveled together full time, literally around the world for 300 days a year. And so to go from 300 days of travel together to overnight her going off the road while she was six months pregnant and not having the ability to have someone on the road with me changed my work. It also changed like how I felt while I was traveling because all of a sudden I was alone a lot instead of being with the person that I love so much. Um, so it was it was a challenge and that's what triggered a lot of a lot of the things that allow other people to look at me and label me as an entrepreneur now it's not that i wasn't entrepreneurial in the past it's just that how it was it came out of a need to problem solve and fix the problem of me being gone all the time yeah and so the only way to do that was to change certain things about my career to give me the ability to replace the income that i was generating while traveling 300 days a year decrease my travel schedule and do other things to start making money and provide for my family. Which is kind of how story, you know, taking over story kind of came out of that. And then, I mean, it's been amazing having story here, but yeah, we've also had to restructure and learn how to work together through that. And thankfully we have 10, 12 years of live event experience together that I can come in on a, you know, diminished capacity basis and, step in where needed and show up on site when I need to and speak into things when I need to. But my role has become more of a support role from the, you know, behind the scenes than kind of that everyday, all day touch. It's been a fun journey. It's one we're still working on. (laughs) Yeah, we're still new. I mean, we're only 
really kind of three years three into years. this, five years into her going off the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been a big transition. We're still figuring it out. It's like I go to the office now on days that I'm not traveling. That's a super weird thing because I never went to an office before. We just went on the road together and the world was our office. And so now to be starting and growing a company as opposed to just out there speaking and performing at live events, it's a completely different lifestyle. So we're learning things all over again. And, you know, in America, we tie our identity to our work so much that when our work changes, it's in, when our role changes, we ha- we tend to have an identity crisis and not know who we are anymore. Cause it's like, well, who are you? It's like, well, I was, I was like a magician's assistant and like traveled and performed my husband full time. And now I'm a stay at home mom, but I don't, <laughs> I don't know who I am, I guess but that's my vocation. So I think it was actually really healthy for us because walking through that season forced us to learn how to not tie our identity and value as human beings and value to each other mm-hmm. and our vocations because our vocations have been so rapidly changing. I feel like I've been on the more difficult side, having had to learn all over again, basically how to do things on my own, how to raise kids, how to not be with him all the time, but still desiring to be a part of what he's doing because I love what he does. I always have. Um, and it's hard to kind of find yourself on the outside looking in. And like you said, finding your identity in some of that has been really difficult for me because I want to be there and I want to be a part of it all. And I know that I can't and that's okay. And so I'm still, that's still a process that's ongoing for me, especially since having another baby. So (laughs) learning, learning a little bit more. (laughs) Yeah. Which I mean, one could listen to and think like, what does that have to do with marriage? That sounds like just working on yourself. But obviously, yeah. like our, our emotional and mental and spiritual and physical health has everything to do with how we're available to love our spouse in the form of a relationship. And so, yeah, right. us, us doing some of that soul work has only made us grow closer to each other and given us the ability to love each other better. Well, and how we relate to each other. I have to have him see me completely different because he's not with me all day, every day. There are things that happen in my day that don't happen in his day. And there are things that happen in his day that don't happen in mine. So learning how to not go, oh, my day was way worse than yours and celebrating the little things and celebrating kind of the milestones that you get to. But yeah, he's had to lean in places that he's never had to lean in for me and and vice versa. So are there practices or boundaries or things you guys do as a couple to stay connected through all of craziness. There's a few things we're committed to. Um, one is dinner. I know that sounds really old and traditional, but I work very hard to, on the nights that I'm not traveling to always be home, uh, by five or 6 PM so that we as a family can have a sit down dinner together. It's sometimes frustrating and chaotic right now because we have that three-year-old and five-year-old and now a baby screaming. And so, you have this picture in your head of like family dinner and just being this peaceful time. We're all together as a family laughing. Yeah, ours doesn't look like that. Telling stories about our day. And, um, ours is cold macaroni and cheese and screaming children. So. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, so it's less of what the dinner itself looks like and more of just the discipline of being committed to that practice of making sure that we protect that time with each other. And then at, at night, you know, we go to bed instead of just rolling into bed and going to sleep or rolling into bed and immediately reaching for a TV remote to turn on some Netflix show to constantly say, how are you? You know, and, and to know the other person well enough to know that when they go, I'm good or I'm fine or whatever, to be able to know, like, no, I'm, you're, you're lying to me right now. Like, how are you really? And sometimes it takes minutes, like literal minutes, five, 10 minutes to keep digging. And it's not like a poking prodding sort of way. It's just, I know you're tired. I know I'm tired. I know the easy thing to do right now is just to go to sleep. But like now that the kids are in bed and it's nine o'clock, even though we're both exhausted, um, let's do the work as often as possible to just dig in and make sure that we're both okay and healthy. And that's hard. And I don't know that we do that perfectly all the time, but it's something that I try to be intentional about when I'm able. I'm much better at it at home than I am on the road. I'm notorious for just you know, you're walking bed. off stage and you're exhausted and then you're tied up and then she is asleep and then you don't know if she's still awake or not. And so we, we haven't been great at learning how to communicate best on the road with each other, but I think we do an okay job with that at home. And that's been really helpful. It's a good practice. Yeah. The other thing that we've tried to do is, is to recognize that both of us also need some time without anybody. 
that when you have this chaotic life, he's coming home from a, you know, from an office at five o'clock to kids that are outrageously excited to see him and want to just be over the top for the next three hours until they crash. And that's draining and recognizing, Hey, when you get in bed, like, I I don't want you to feel like I'm going to drain you even more. So get out of the house, get your jacket, drive to Dave and Buster's and go (laughs) play video game, you know, whatever it is that you need to do, get me out of the house and let me go after we put the kids to bed to go hang out with some girlfriends just for a couple hours. He's been really great about that. I try, I, always hope that I am doing well at that because it's easy to go, I need you and I need you here right now. And I don't care how drained you are. I need you. So being super intentional to give each other space to just be and breathe and go without feeling guilty. Yeah. I mean, I love the name of your podcast because it you know, it has the word intent in it. I far overuse the word intentionality in my vocabulary. Uh, and maybe it's just the season of life I'm in right now, but as an entrepreneur that is seemingly receiving tons of opportunities, it's been a really fun season, but it has forced me to recognize that every, everything that I say yes to, I'm by default saying no to something else. And sometimes saying yes to an opportunity that seems really exciting at work by default means I'm saying no to my family, no to my wife. And that's not fair. And so it, it has forced me to learn how to be intentional. And I don't, I actually don't feel like I've succeeded at that yet. I need to get better at creating more margin in my schedule. And by margin, I don't just mean scheduling time off because I've been thinking about this a lot lately, but like even, even the idea of pausing and sitting in a chair and meditating, meditate is still a verb. And so margin by its nature, it's not like the margin on notebook paper that we left blank in school. It's going to be filled with something, even if it's sleeping. Uh, But to have enough margin where knowing that my day constantly gets out of control, things have a tendency to spill over into other things, to have enough margin so that it doesn't cut into the things that I care about the most, like time with my family is really important. And so that's kind of been the journey I'm on lately. And it doesn't feel, it feels lame and doesn't feel very sexy to schedule that, to be like, Hey, I love you so much. I'm going to put something on our family calendar called dinner. Um, But if you don't (laughs) schedule it, then the next thing you know, the lack of margin in your schedule, it just overthrows everything. And then you're going to bed every night going, shoot, like my family's getting my leftovers. Um, And it's actually all these people at work that should be getting my leftovers, not my wife and kids. So that's been hard. It's taken a lot of discipline, but trying to do things like a regularly scheduled date night or if I'm on the road on the weekend to take Mondays off to hang with one or both or all three of our kids, like to actually calendar it and not everyone will, it won't be necessary for everyone to do that. But depending on how busy your lifestyle is and whether you work for yourself or not, if you're an entrepreneur, that's incredibly important because if it doesn't get scheduled, it won't get valued. I think it's also super important as women and as wives to allow your man to have space and to give him permission to be alone and to do the things that give him joy um, because they may not be the same things that give us joy or that give us, you know, we're not getting the same space. I think the men in our lives work so hard and it's, it's for little, not reward, but for little um, accolade, there's nobody standing with a medal at, you know, at the end of the day um, for what they did. And it's so easy for, for them to burn out. And so, gosh, a lot of my girlfriends do not give their men space just to breathe and to just release whatever it is they need to release. Um, Cause like even hearing him say, Oh, I want to take this, this cool meeting, or I want to fly to this city just to go do something, you know, with these really amazing people, that's like creative freedom. And when you give your spouse the ability to do that, it like breathes this new sense of life and new sense of energy. And they come home more excited about something and they are energized and they're ready to go and they can actually engage better because they've been energized somewhere else. It's not necessarily going to be me and my three kids that are going to energize and they may just drain him. And, and we just have to be okay with that. We actually had a conversation about that this past weekend. Um, <laughs> and it's fascinating. I, I, my assumption that would be that a lot of other couples struggle with this our conversation revolved around the fact that there are things that I want to do that I don't do because internally I have guilt associated with those things because in my mind I go, there's already not enough time being devoted to these things. 
So like, why would I get on a plane to fly to Portland to meet with a friend for a day? And I'm going, go, go, go. And then I'm like shocked. I'm like, wait, really? You're telling me like, and so I just needed to hear that permission from her, which is a total game changer. So I think there are things that our spouses need to hear permission from, and they aren't necessarily things they will ever ask for permission for. Mm -hmm. Um, They're only uncovered by intentional conversations about trying to figure out what your needs are. What do you need to hold space for in your relationship for the other person to be the best version of themselves? And then to champion them doing the things and taking the steps necessary to be able to become that person. Yeah, I love how intentional you guys are as a pair. I always say that great relationships don't just happen. Like we have to create them intently, just like we do with a business. And everything you just said just speaks to how much thought you guys put into creating your business, creating your family and in your relationship together. So thanks so much for sharing that. I would love to know more about the story conference and the incredible movement you're creating there. I've had really awesome friends in the community just say time and time again, I really need to get out to the story conference and it's on my bucket list for this year. (laughs) So I'd love for you guys to share a little bit more about that and where you guys are headed with the story conference. Gosh. Yeah. Those are big questions. Um, this is a new year for story. I'm super (laughs) excited about it. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Story it's, yeah, it's a two day conference. A lot of people don't like the word conference. They don't like that. We even call it a conference because they're like, dude, it's so much more than a conference. And I hear that. Uh, but it is, it's, it's two days for people who believe in the power of stories to get in a room together and to think new ways to tell stories, to, be challenged, to be inspired so that they leave feeling more innovative and ready to do their best, most creative work. And so some people have called it like the TED for people who do creative things. And I appreciate that as well. Uh, But at the same time, I believe that everyone is innately creative. Um, And so I, I hate the word creatives because I feel like it makes people feel like they don't belong. And there's a lot of people who come to story and leave going, oh my gosh, I just found my people. I found my tribe. And I love that. So story is really for anyone who communicates ideas and want people to believe in those ideas. So whether you work in marketing or you're a writer, a filmmaker, live experience designer, like an interior designer, an architect, or you just run a social media account, which is all of us uh, these days, um, there's something to learn about how to better tell stories and become a better storyteller and more creative as a storyteller at Story Conference. But we kind of have a little bit of an ulterior motive, like... We want you to leave feeling like you got the value out of what you paid for your registration. And so we have to deliver value in that way and make you better at what you do. But simultaneously, we also want to call you to action responsibility because we believe that storytellers are basically the architects of culture. It's been said that if you want to understand a culture or a city or a community or a nation, whatever it is that you want to understand, you listen to the stories that that culture is telling. And if you want to change that culture, Actually, I don't even believe that you can change culture. I think you have to create new culture that replaces it, the old one. And the way to do that is by establishing new narratives, basically by telling better stories. And so in many ways, we are all storytellers. And with great power comes great responsibility. Steve Jobs said that storytellers are the most powerful people in the world. And if that's true, that means we have the most power to inflict change that we want to see in the world. And so... We hope to serve people well through the conference, but more than anything else, we want them leaving feeling the weight, the responsibility, and inspired by how much power they have to change the world around them. And so the goal is to keep doing that on a larger scale, um, that the movement of believing in that idea continues growing, not just in the U.S., but around the world. So we in the U.S. are trying to strive to get better and better at what we do. We're looking at branching out and what it might look like to be doing story on other continents over the next five to 10 years to build sort of a global network of storytellers who believe in this idea. And I believe we can build that global network and connect them with each other and then curate experiences for them that lead them inspired that five, 10, 15, 20 years, we, we can legitimately look back at a legacy that we created and go, man, we're actually making a dent in the universe. Uh, and that's pretty exciting to us. And really it's, it's, there's no difference between everything I just talked about and a very intentional love between two married people, right? You know, the thing that makes storytelling so great is a character overcoming conflict, 
and the transformation that they go through in the process of trying to overcome those challenges and conflicts. And that's really what has built our relationship with each other. It's all the conflict that we've been willing to walk into instead of running away from it. We've been willing to walk into it. And it's only by walking through those challenges and conflict that it has changed us as characters in our story and allowed our story to collide and grow closer to each other. And yeah, that's, that's what I love about talking about storytelling is it, it applies to our work, but it also has the potential to change our personal life in the process. Absolutely. What are some things that you guys have had to shift in like your teamwork together? Because that's very different from being a performer to moving into becoming community builders. What's kind of changed there? That's a great question. I don't know if I have a good answer to it because we're in the middle of it. And so, you know, if we were to do this interview again, five years from now, looking back at the things I've learned, I might be able to answer that with more wisdom. But I mean, it is definitely the spotlight is different right? The, the spotlight before was on us as entertainers. The spotlight now is more on us as leaders, I think, which doesn't sound like a difference, but it really is a huge difference. You know, before there was no, nothing, people either just liked what you did on stage or they didn't. And now there's all these new additional things for people to not like, they may not like the way you're leading or they may not like the direction that you're taking a community. In. Your aesthetic, yeah. Yeah. So it's, there's a lot more opportunity for judgment, I think, now that you're leading a community instead of just leading your own career. So that's that's a new challenge. And so to me, the solution has just been to to lead with transparency and vulnerability, to just kind of be open about, you know, here's the direction I would love to take things. And I'm very open to feedback. Here's my personal email address. Email me. Let us know how we can best serve you. But to lead with others in mind first, because this I have not made a single penny building the story community or the conference. We, it's sort of a passion project of our company. We do a lot of other work throughout the year that we work really hard on to generate revenue, to pay everybody and all of our company expenses. And then story has become this passion project that we, even though it's owned by a for-profit company is operated as a nonprofit. And so we, we run the conference at a break even point. And that means if we're not making money on this, there's gotta be some other motivation. And it's just, it's just to serve people and legitimately change the future of our world. And so if we're not serving people well, the only way to do a better job at that is to listen. And so I think it's, this season has been more about listening than I think it is about speaking. So I'm still listening and not mm. quite ready to speak and say, oh, here's all the things that you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been pretty humbling, honestly. Well, where can we find you and how can us as the Love Intently community support you? Yeah. I mean, I'm at Harris the third on socials. Uh, so it's just at Harris, H A R R I S I I I like the Roman numeral three. I have a weird name. Harris is actually my <laughs> last name and her last name. But and it's, my last name yep. it's what everyone from the people who hire me and work with me to my closest friends call me. But yeah, I'm at Harris the third. Kate is Kate M Harris at Kate M Harris on Instagram. Yep. I'm, you know, I'll never check Facebook. So <laughs> and then Instagram. Yeah, you can, I mean, you can Google my name. There's lots of stuff online. Uh, Harris at third.com is all of my personal work as an illusionist and consultant. And then our company is Astoria collective. So I S T O R I A Astoria.com. And then story story is just storygatherings.com. If you want to learn more about this year's upcoming conference, you can just go to story 2019.com, but story 2019 is going to be pretty incredible. So yeah, maybe check out story2019.com and learn more sometime over the next couple months is when we, things get really exciting because we unveil our theme for the year and an initial round of speakers that are part of our speaker lineup for 2019. And it's going to be a really fun year for story. Yeah, it is. Uh, I can't wait. Can't wait. Well, before we move on to the last three questions, I just want to take a minute to acknowledge both of you and say thank you so much for all the work that you do for the story community and creatives all around. And also just for your heart behind intentionality and relationships and marriage. I can tell that you guys have spent a lot of time thinking through how to have a thriving marriage and relationship and that you share this wisdom pretty freely with the people in your life. So thank you for all that you do. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. It's, it's, it has become a passion of ours. It's been heartbreaking to get married so young and then to now be 35 and watch a lot of, and watch a lot of relationships fall apart. And it's been frustrating to, to see so many give up so easily. 
or to have single friends who want desperately to be in relationships, not be able to find them because they don't really know what they're looking for. And so we've just tried really hard to lean into those, to those lives over the, over the years. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having yeah, us thank on. Thank you so much. Absolutely. What is the best relationship advice you have ever been given or could give? Always be real. There's uh, a season where my vocation as an illusionist became my lifestyle. And I say that a lot, but what it really means is that I performed on stage and off. And the, the time that I stopped with the show is the time that my life began to start changing. And that's scary to people like me who have spent their entire life performing because you're taking off the mask and letting go of the facade. But it also comes with allowing people to truly know you. And until people truly know you, there's no way to allow them to truly love you. And so that w- that's been the biggest part of my journey these last few years. And I see so many other people struggling with that. So stop with the show. It'll change your life and your marriage. Yeah, mine would be probably that same thing. But I would also say it it gets better with time. That any argument that you have or short-term hiccup that you have in your life, like once you get past that, there's so much foresight in, into what is going to happen. And there, you just get... It's just so much better. <laughs> yeah, I think the myth is that it gets boring with time. It does not get boring. I, I've, I've, I can't help but think I have girlfriends that have, whose marriages have not lasted, because they have had friends told them that marriage doesn't get better, and I hate that for them, because it's so exciting. And if you allow, it, it's it's all about allowing yourself to allow it to get better, and that's partly what he said. You know, being transparent and leaning in and just being intentional with your, with your time and with your love and with your days. Yeah. I mean, and even, I mean, it's, we often in certain circles, we don't talk about sex because it's so taboo, but I remember in my mid twenties and I still hear a little bit of this, but when you're a guy in that season of life, there's so much talk around, Oh, I can't imagine having sex with the same girl for like (laughs) the rest of my life, you know, because they, they have this idea of like, I want to be able to sleep around and have all these crazy experiences and it's like, dude, you have no idea because sex is not the only thing that gets better, um, but it is absolutely one of the things that gets better. And so to, to see people who are like, oh, 15 years, it must get really boring in no. the bedroom. It's like, no, I experience a level of intimacy with my wife that you will you never experience other. until you walk through a relationship for 15 years. Yep. I went to this marriage seminar and a fact that I learned is that our sexual peaks are at like 60. Nobody oh talks word. about that. But <laughs> That's awesome. You know what? I would have laughed at that at 21 and rolled my eyes and be like, sure, it I does. Believe that. But now after being married for 15 years, yeah, we're still learning about each other. So I absolutely yeah. believe that to be true. What piece of wisdom advice would you share with all of our single listeners. Oh, that love is not a feeling. It's a choice. Yep. And I know that's so easy to say and really hard to embrace when you are thinking about something as scary as making a commitment to someone, a vow, like to commit to a relationship for the rest of your life. But, you know, and it, and it is, look, it's really easy. I admit it's so easy for me as someone who's been married for 15 years to look at single people and go, this is why you're single. And I know I, I struggle to have as much empathy as I should, because I can only imagine how difficult it is. But I see so many single people looking around with judgment going, I just, this is what I don't like about that person. Or he's just not good enough because of this, or I'm just not attracted to her. And I'm like, gosh, all the stuff you guys are talking about is like, these are little minuscule things that are not worth not getting married over. And so I, I don't want to venture out and say, I just chose to marry her and I could have chosen to marry anyone and would have made it work. But I will never forget being in India at 18 years old and interacting with, we had dinner at this people's house um, whose kids had there were a part of an arranged marriage. And it was like at 18, it was shocking to me. I'd never even heard of the concept, sheltered growing up in a small town. And I'm like, what are you arranged? Like, that's a thing. Um, and I'm like, their, their relationship had literally been arranged. Well, then a few days later, I actually got to meet that couple. And I'm sure it was inappropriate. Some of the questions I was asking them, I just didn't know like it would, that it wasn't socially awkward. I was just so curious. I was like, so you just like, you didn't even know each other growing up. You just like, you were just introduced and it, you were told you were going to, but like you actually like each other and like now you're married and they've been married for years and they were head over heels, quote unquote, in love with each other. And what it told me is that the feeling that we're looking for of love 
is actually born out of the intimacy that comes from intentionally choosing to love. And so my choosing to love her, even the times that I didn't feel like loving her, is what led to the intimacy that gave birth to my feeling of love for her. So now I would say I'm not just choosing to love her. I am in love with her. But early on, I fell in and out of love with her, depending on the day and whether we were getting along or not, or whether something made her not attractive that day because of an attitude or something that annoyed me. And so we're all looking for these surface level things or things that we think are non-negotiable. And there's so much more negotiable than you realize. And so I, we, we joke around that we would have never <laughs> married each other if we would have grown up in social media because yeah. social media would have put the things on display that we feel like would have disqualified us in a relationship with each other. So I'm like, once I find out her hobbies or what she enjoyed or the types of TV shows she watched, I'm like, well, I would never get along with someone like that. But I got to know her as a person before I found out about all those preferences. And so my connection with her came first and all the other things just didn't seem as big of a deal as we now think that they are. And so I think we need to roll into getting to know each other with a little bit more grace. Yeah. Stop swiping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stop swiping and actually have conversations with people and more than one conversation. Give someone at least two dates, <laughs> unless it just goes horribly sideways. And like, stop. Give people two yeah. dates. Stop with the like, this is, they're not my type. Based stuff. on a picture. Yeah. That's awful. It's awful. <laughs> Yeah. If you if you live the rest of your life going, no, he's not my type. No, she's not my type. He's not my type. Or I'm convinced you may never get married. Yeah. Um, choose like <laughs> if someone is into you, say yes and go out with them and get to yes. know them. And even if you're like, but I'm not attracted to them. Give it a chance. Give it a shot because six months later, you might be insanely attracted to them because love grows. It doesn't like fall out of the sky like a lightning strike and be like, poof, now you're in love. You just fell in love. It's like, no, the times you fell in love, you're going to fall out of love. And so choose to love. Yeah. It's why chick flicks are unrealistic. <laughs> Don't open that can of worms. We're <laughs> wrapping up the interview. Yeah. <laughs> chick flicks and fairy tales are a lie. The worst. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I got off on a soapbox there for a second. No, that was amazing, though. I'm so, so, so glad that we captured that because I think it's something that a lot of people need to hear. And our audience is just as many singles looking for love as it is people <laughs> in relationships. So yeah, stop looking for it and just start choosing to love people well and be so open-minded to what could happen. So good. Well, what does love or love intently mean to you? It's everything. Yeah. With no love, like we're all what lost and yeah. floating what and is this life? we're, I don't know what the, which animal to choose from the animal kingdom, but it's not just love. Isn't just what we have in the back of our heads. It's not just a feeling it's, it's waking up and making breakfast and eating it together and having kids and smiling at each other across the room and sitting in a car for hours saying nothing and taking well, a trip. And yeah. it's, it's, it is literally, every detail of every day love could be the most exhilarating height of every form of pleasure to the difficulty of going i'm completely exhausted but i need to like get off the couch and go sit on the floor and play with my kids right now because that's what love looks like so love sometimes means taking your clothes off and climbing in bed which is the part we all look forward to. <laughs> Sometimes love looks like putting your work boots on and getting your hands dirty. And everything that you're searching for, everything that your soul is craving that you want to experience is on the other side of doing both of those things. And so to feel love, you have to both allow yourself to be loved and to choose to love someone else. And then the love that you want to feel is the, the reward of doing those things. Maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but that's what came to mind. Yeah. I, I keep thinking it's it's literally all the little details. And sometimes even love is an argument because it makes you a better person. And it it challenges just floating through life. I don't think anyone can go into battle to fight anything without love, which we don't yeah. equate love and war, but like to go to war over something 
So it drives, uh, it's what drives every day. Yeah. It's because there's something that you stand for and against. Um, and love is what makes you be willing to fight for that. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, it would really mean the world to us. If you could take a screenshot and share it or let us know what resonated with you. And we would really love it if you could leave us a rating and review. It really helps other people find us and helps us with rankings with Apple. I absolutely love Harris and Kate and the community they've intentionally created space for. You can find everything in our show notes for more information and for information on the story conference, go to storygatherings.com. Thank you so much again until next time with love and intention.